Hi, my name is Mario Veen, and this is probably the last episode of this podcast. Although, as the Dutch writer Multatuli said, nothing is entirely sure, and maybe not even that. We'll discuss an article about what may be the most important discipline of philosophy to focus on in medical education, philosophy of technology. The article is called Technical Difficulties, Teaching Critical Philosophical Orientations Towards Technology, by Benjamin Chinyi, Laura Nimmen, and myself. This article was published as part of the Philosophy in Medical Education series of the journal Teaching and Learning in Medicine. It will also be part of the edited volume that Anna Cianciolo and myself are publishing in August. This book is called Helping a Field See Itself, Envisioning a Philosophy of Medical Education, and you can order it through the link in the description. Dr. Benjamin Chinyi is a PhD candidate in the Department of History and Philosophy of Science at the University of Cambridge and a hematologist in the Division of Hematology at Western University Canada. Ben's research examines the impact of technology on the patient-physician relationship and how to integrate values and evidence to improve clinical decision-making. Dr. Laura Nimmen is scientist at the Center of Health Education Scholarship an Associate Professor of Occupational Science and Occupational Therapy in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of British Columbia in Canada. Her research explores the social and relational aspects of learning and professional practice in medicine. Before we start, Laura would like to make this acknowledgement on behalf of Ben and Laura. I would like to acknowledge that I am grateful to work at the University of British Columbia's Point Grey campus which is situated on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. Let's just start where we are. Uh, I'm in the Netherlands. I'm in uh, Gouda. Maybe you know it from the Gouda cheese, the yellow round cheeses, while they make them here. And uh, where are you, Laura? I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, so right near the, the ocean and we have lots of mountains. I can see mountains from my window here in my office. So feeling pretty grateful. That's lovely. I'm, uh, I'm in London, Ontario, so which is in Southwestern Ontario, uh, in Canada. Uh, and I'm currently in uh, the lab right now. So no, no windows or mountains here, but lots of machines humming in the background. So hopefully you won't pick those up on the, on the recording today. Well, it actually fits the theme of our paper great because we're talking about technical difficulties, technology. We're in the lab, which uh, has a lot of machines. And uh, yeah, it's kind of inescapable, right? The technology in medical education. Apparently, we found it so important that we wanted to write a paper about it for the philosophy series of teaching and learning in medicine. Yeah, so Ben, can you tell a little bit maybe about your background, what you're doing now, and yeah, what your interest was in writing this paper? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm Ben Chinyi and I'm a hematologist by training, I'm also currently doing my PhD in uh, philosophy uh, in the Department of History and Philosophy of Science uh, at the University of Cambridge. I have a longstanding interest in philosophy of medicine um, and philosophy of science and recently uh, had an interest in sort of uh, applying philosophical ideas to uh, critically think about uh, emerging medical technologies. And uh, Mario, I think that's how we connected initially and got talking about some of these topics. And I was, uh, I was really excited to have the opportunity to work on this paper with both of you and, uh, and explore some more of these ideas. 
Yeah, you wrote, uh, I think we connected because also you wrote a chapter for the other philosophy book, as, as we call it, the other philosophy medical education book, which was also about uh, the role of technology. And so why do you think this technology, because you're also studying medicine, so you're also very practical oriented, why does it need a philosophical approach? Yeah, I think that uh, modern medicine today is uh, is um, is ripe with with uh, with technologies that are uh, almost being applied and uh, incorporated into clinical practice faster than we can keep abreast of, and um, and things in in the clinical world tend to happen quite fast. You know, there's there's sick patients uh, uh, that need to be cared for. There's uh, there's uh, there's increasing challenges in our health system that we're trying to address, um, and this often leads to um, to rapid uh, rapid integration of uh, of technological uh, approaches that uh, don't always necessarily come with the more slow, critical, thoughtful approaches that uh, that I think uh, philosophy can help uh, help uh, uh, can give us in in order to kind of uh, think about some of the broader impacts and potential uh, pitfalls of applying um, some of these technologies um, in clinical practice. And so that's why I turned to philosophy in the first place um, was because I was really interested in kind of interrogating. Um, um, uh, at first sort of um, aspects of medical knowledge that we kind of took for granted in clinical practice. Uh, and this quickly extended to thinking about other aspects of medical practice, including the technological aspects. And so um, so I do think that we're really at a critical juncture in, in, in medical practice that um, it would really uh, uh, be critical to be able to uh, to um, apply some of these uh, these approaches to to scrutinize some of the technologies that are increasingly um, being deployed in 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 healthcare today. Laura, can you introduce yourself, please? I'm Dr. Laura Nimmin. I'm a scientist at the Center for Health Education Scholarship here at UBC, um, and. I'm, I can't actually recall how I became a part of this group. I think it was from an email from you, Mario. And um, you maybe you'd read a paper that I'd written and you thought I'd be a good fit. But I thought, oh, wow, that topic's so interesting. And and so working with you both, even though I don't have a background in philosophy, for me was really interesting um, because I'm really actually interested in more of like the social and relational aspects of health professions education and medical education. Um, and, you know, we live in this kind of world now where everything is sort of technologically mediated. And so human beings are kind of entangled um, with technology every day and almost every moment. Um, and so in in medicine, of course, and in, in medical education, health professions education, it's not going to fade away. It's just going to become more and more present. And so... Um, I was really drawn to the kind of conversation um, when you invited me by taking this more philosophical and critical approach to how we think about technology. And I think it's really useful because it has, it kind of has us examine new and entrenched assumptions regarding best practices. And I think it encourages us to kind of take on this way of thinking, which to me is really interesting. And I think, you know, with it's not just technology, I think with kind of any new tool, um, we always need to think about, you know, what are the assumptions and kind of how are we using this new technology or new tool, or even, you know, if you think of like language as a tool, for example, I think it's always important that we think critically. Um, 
And so the question that we ended up asking together, I'll just tell the audience when we wrote the paper was, how do we prepare trainees to critically assess technologies that we cannot foresee and effectively use technology to support equitable and compassionate care? And so that question for me was, was really interesting um, to grapple with together and have more of kind of a meta conversation. Um, um, and just to think about how we can use technology productively and ethically, and not just kind of with this neutral acceptance and unconscious engagement. So, so for me, joining the group and like bringing in our different perspectives, I think, um, gave me an opportunity to think that way together and was definitely really fruitful. Yeah, it was nice with all these different perspectives on technology. And yeah, the point you also make is that we we say right at the beginning of the paper that when when you say technology, it's such a broad term and everyone has the these images with it. And you probably if you hear the word technology, the images that come up in your mind are new technologies or recent technologies like uh, VR glasses or x-ray machines or something like that. But yeah, we say right in the beginning of the paper that hand washing is, is a technology as well. It's pretty radical. I mean, and it's pretty recent as well, apparently. That's one of the things I learned in the paper, that it wasn't until like the 1980s that it was accepted. Yeah, the, in, in the United States, only from the 1980s, the first national hand washing guidelines emerged. That's pretty recent. But this, I mean, this whole thing with running water and tap and gloves and soap and everything that we got really used to in COVID as well. I mean, that's very low tech, but it's still technology as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I remember really well why I invited you because I read this paper. You have to remind me of the name, but the, the concept you introduced there is technification. Mm -hmm. it's, the paper was like caring and or curing. Uh, the, the technification of medical expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in medical education. Yeah. So that's another example where, so technology, uh, I mean, tables and computers and buildings, and that's, that's very broad conception of technology, but technification also means that it's a kind, also kind of way of relating to each other, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I talk in that paper about how, you know, right now we really operate under this sort of orientation that there's, you know, the goal I think is sort of a technification of medical expertise. And I talk about how we frame that as human social activity that functions as a procedural or diagnostic skill designed to gather data about the patient and determine what aspect of the patient requires curing. Um, but I think, you know, part of that paper, I talk about how we think about expertise um, needs to be framed as more of a delicate balance of both technical and relational. Uh, so that, that paper talks a bit about that. But I think that paper that I wrote is why, why I was invited into this group, just to kind of deconstruct a little bit more how we think about technification mm -hmm. and the importance of uh, relationality. Ben, could you talk a little bit about the way technology is usually approached in medical education and in medicine? Sure thing, yeah. So, I mean, I think that um, the growing role of uh, 
technology. I mean, uh, I keep using these terms like growing role or that we're, you know, at a critical point, but like we've already pointed out and we point out in the paper as well, technology's always been there in medicine, right? It's taking on new forms and and, and we argue in the paper that it's accelerating. Um, and so now um, I think there is an increasing awareness of this uh, in uh, in medicine and in medical education that there's a need to grapple with this, which is uh, the big motivating factor for our paper. But I think that um, as Laura sort of alluded to, um, the at least um, usual way that technology is approached um, in uh, in medicine um, is uh, is um, in this more neutral uh, way where it's seen as sort of something that's always in the background, something that is um, is a tool um, that um, can be straightforwardly applied to solve particular problems that we face in healthcare. Um, this um, in the paper um, we refer to um, as uh, the positivist view of technology, which is um, a term that's been applied in some of the philosophy of technology literature, which really sees technology as sort of the straightforward uh, application of science to solve um, uh, problems, social problems, um, um, healthcare problems, um, or whatever problems faced by human beings. Um, but um, it's seen as uh, a straightforward and rational extension of science in this way um, that um, really um, is a tool for uh, enabling uh, effective control and, uh, and manipulation of, um, of the environment. And um, uh, this view, um, which I think is commonplace, um, is, uh, is one that's increasingly being challenged um, by, um, by uh, many scholars but um, it's one that I think is increasingly, uh, it, it's, a, it's a view that I think needs to be challenged also in, in, in medicine because uh, we're increasingly seeing how, how technology um, can, uh, can incorporate various values in, 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 and, and these can often have uh, fairly significant consequences in how they're, how they're used and, 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 their, and the downstream effects they have uh, for uh, practitioners and patients and communities. Do you have an example of that? Yeah, I mean, we use a couple of different examples in the paper. One example that I think um, uh, people like to take, like to talk about and uh, and like to talk about a lot is uh, the electronic health record, uh, which, um, uh, according to sort of this neutral view, um, you know, can be seen simply as uh, as an extension of uh, of um, of advances in computing and various uh, various um, sciences that have underwritten, you know, the the technologies that make uh, that underwrite that technology that makes the electronic health uh, record possible um, uh, as a, as a sort of straightforward means of collating masses of data um, and uh, and organizing data in such a way that it can be applied um, to improve uh, patient care and to provide patient care, um, but. Um, as anyone who's using an electronic health record, various electronic health records re uh, realize that um, uh, the uh, the uh, specific goal of of using uh, using an electronic health record to improve patient care is not always a straightforward one. And there's additional choices that go into designing and creating a technology like an electronic health record that can have different consequences on how it's being used in practice. Um, so um, in philosophy, sometimes this is sort of called um, the problem of underdetermination of technology, where technological design is underdetermined by the specific uh, ends that it's trying to achieve. And there are actually additional social choices that are made in going into how a technology is designed. And so, for example, with the electronic health record, um, some people have pointed out that additional choices, for example, choices to use uh, to, to be able to facilitate collection of administrative data for particular um, particular additional um, um, uh, functions or um, 
or uh, the ability for it to um, uh, facilitate billing practices, for example, are ways that can cause uh, um, this technology, which, you know, on the surface, you might see as simply just an ex a, a simple tool that can be used in patient care to actually diverge from from that um, that that um, that goal that we often sort of just uh, assume that it's uh, it's serving the function of. There's a number of other examples that we use in the paper, too, that kind of are examples of how technologies um, can be kind of sometimes just seen as uh, straightforward means uh, means to an end. But uh, but in fact, uh, there are, um, are additional um, aspects to them that need to be interrogated and scrutinized in order to ensure that we're, we're not missing additional aspects um, in, in, and we're incorporating them in a thoughtful uh, manner. Yeah, I like this concept, which we didn't introduce in the paper, but this concept of technological performativity as opposed to the idea that let's say there's a, a hospital before the electronic health record and the electronic health record is just kind of implemented and it's an extra feature and it kind of upgrades the hospital but you can see that there's this whole social technological material infrastructure that that is created around it so it uh, you have to carry something around you need different training even eye contact with the patient becomes different. If you start a conversation with the patient, you already have like a lot of knowledge about the patient. There's actually been studies about that as well, how it changes social interactions. So it's just something that's kind of interwoven into everything and it creates this new world instead of it just being something, yeah, uh, we have a standard, a status quo, and we can upgrade it or we can make it more efficient. Absolutely. Yeah, so obviously we have some ideas about uh, <laughs> what, so the, one of the main questions in our paper or the main question is because it's written for medical education is how do we teach critical philosophical orientations towards technology? We don't, we don't outline an educational program. Uh, actually, we, this is one of the things that we discussed a lot. What are we actually doing? But we, we're kind of sketching the contours of such an educational program and has maybe three pillars that, that it would address. Uh, I'll name them first and then maybe we can discuss them. So the first one is technical literacy. Uh, the second one has to do with um, the social construction of technology. So just the, the example I just gave is an example of social construction, how something comes to life in its use actually, and it affects also the social interactions. And then the third one is maybe more the philosophical one, which is that it also can change the relationship between the human and the technical. Yeah, why don't we start with uh, the first who wants to talk about technical literacy, what we mean by that. I guess it's you, Ben, because you're also actually the one that during our discussions, you had these experiences from practice, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, well, I, first of all, I mean, I think that where we ended up with this paper really benefited from the the, the rich and diverse perspectives that kind of we all all um, all got to bring from the various professional experiences and, and professions that we are within. But the, the technical literacy um, pillar, um, as you uh, as you mentioned, um, is one that um, we really wanted to kind of develop a little bit more of a, uh, uh, an idea of, of, of technical literacy that wasn't simply about um, competency and being able to use a particular technology. So we didn't want to talk about technical literacy in so much of a narrow sense, but rather um, um, under, uh, understand um, technology as embedded within within a system of practice 
and how um, how uh, techno technical literacy means understanding how actually to fit that uh, particular type of technology and that use of that technology within that broader system of practice. And that includes having an understanding certainly of being able to competently apply a particular technology technology. But it also, uh, importantly, I think, it, and this is one of the points that we tried to emphasize in the paper, includes understanding when such uh, applying such technology might not be appropriate, it might not, uh, it might be necessary to actually um, um, uh, forego using a particular technology, or in fact, um, 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 you know, uh, advocate for not using a particular technology for a particular to address a particular problem. And uh, really, that that level of literacy um, is uh, is uh, takes something a little bit more than just simply being able to um, be uh, competent in uh, understanding how a technology functions, understanding how it converts inputs into outputs, understanding you know uh, what 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 narrow sort of problems that it can solve, but rather actually fitting it within a broader system of practice. And that's something I think is really critical um, as a as a physician as a, as a as a clinician, um, it's it's important to really um, really um, be able to to have that broader that more capacious notion of literacy. So that's one of the things that um, that I think we try to address in that pillar. I don't know if I if, if you any of you want to touch on other aspects of literacy as well, but that was one of the things that we sought to emphasize. Yeah, I think one of the things too we emphasized is um, that might relate to this was. Um, encouraging trainees to sort of scrutinize the social choices that go into to technology, which you've touched on already, Ben. Um, but like, you know, just questions, asking questions like who was included and who was excluded and what are the unintended consequences um, and whose interests do they serve? So I think just having those kinds of questions interrelate to, I think, to issues and, um, and uh, kind of thinking around health equity and give rise to questions about kind of more the social and moral responsibilities of physicians. So um, to me, that also interweaves a bit with uh, technological literacy is asking questions about design. Yeah. I think it also involves be because as I said before, technology is just a container concept. I mean, to ask what, what is technology? It's really also a philosophical question. And uh, I think one of the parts of technical technological literacy involves also being able to distinguish between different levels so i get this image of of a river you have like the 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 boats on the river like the speedboats and everything maybe chat gpt is like a speedboat and i don't know the the pc or the laptop is a little bit of a slower boat then then you have the river current which is flowing faster and uh, that could be more the yeah the techniques underlying this so uh, artificial intelligence computer chips uh, electricity uh, just the whole idea of having digital digital things so that's something that you could teach you know the speedboats you can't keep up with in education but you can teach about we do know that artificial intelligence will continue to be a bigger thing so that's something you can teach about there may be the river bedding is is of of course also changing as well but much slower and that maybe has more to do with a kind of a fundamental uh relationship between humans and technology i mean if you go to your uh gp your family physician i think most people would not accept that you're talking to like a, a robot or a screen but there are now instances where you call the doctor's office and you don't get um, 
uh, human voice. You get, you know, uh, first the triage is done through a computer. And that's still now, you know, that kind of changes also the relationship between the doctor and the patient, I think. That's inevitable. But I think literacy means not so much that we tell people what to do or what is better, but they that they are able to make these kinds of distinctions and make also these kinds of distinctions of when, you know, the possibility of not using a technology and being able to consider that sometimes the, the low-tech option is actually better than, than the high-tech option, right? Yeah, and when I speak like that, it come, becomes a little bit, you know, all those three pillars, they kind of overlap, right? Because this mm -hmm. really touches on the social construction of technology as well. Yeah, and it touches a lot on the importance of humanism and relationship too, and how we're we're entangled in the system with technology, but the importance of a uh, physician presence too in the healing relationship. You know, and I think of that, you've probably read the paper by John Ayers and in JAMA Internal Medicine that went viral on social media recently, where they found that the AI chatbot was more empathetic than physicians. <laughs> Um, you know, but the study captured only online written interactions. Um, and I, I don't think we'll ever get to a place where people don't want empathy from a healthcare provider that's mediated through in-person, um, you know, verbal interactions. So, you know, I think that it's sort of almost like an antithesis to a healing interaction because, as human beings, we really need that subjective experience of connection for healing. And I think there's an element of emotional relationality to it that's really always important to interweave, I think, into all of these questions around how we're interacting with technology yeah. and others in those sort of networks of entanglement. But it's never either or, right? It's not never like human choosing between human and technology, because for this let's say this precious interaction between a physician and a patient to take place, we need this whole technological infrastructure, even, you know, just practically just getting there with a the car and, uh, or being able to uh, do it via video conferencing, but also uh, being able to maybe have some help, technological help with the patients that do not, you know, the, the problems, how do you say that? The, uh, the cases that don't really need uh, something, they can be automated to a certain extent. Because if you do that, you also have more time to spend with those patients that really need personal time. So it's never, I mean, that's where also I think the literacy comes in because it, it's not black and white. It's always a, a balance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like technology has always been with us. It's just made its presence in a different form. No. And it feels overwhelming, but it's always been with us. As we've evolved, you know, so has technology. It's just, no. it feels like it's on a different scale, but it's not. It's always been in, um, in our interactions and environment. Yeah. Still, I... I mean, uh, I, because I'm also the action editor for this series, and this is, uh, I wrote one paper with Camilo, Because We Care, about what is care, and, you know, Heidegger, that's one paper that I really wanted to write. But then the paper I thought was most urgent and most important to write, I think it was this one, not because our paper is so good. I mean, it's a really good paper, but not that's not the reason. But um, because... I think actually it changed now because ChatGPT came out after our paper. And I think it kind of woke people up as well that 
we live kind of in a special age because uh, even the 1980s when I grew up you had the PC and I was introduced in the doctor's offices but it went slow enough that people can adapt and they can reflect on it they can try different things out but that has just really really changed now I mean there's always been technological innovation but first it was you know there was like first you had the wheel and then nothing for a while and then something else and then it was every century and and then every decade and now it's like every year or even faster something comes out that kind of changes the game if you just look at social media how fast it is but at the same time it's also becoming more intimate because i mean we're just recording a podcast right now which probably wouldn't have been possible 10 20 years ago this way and we're having these really nice conversations together so that's really great as well but um because of that, I think it's something that is often overlooked because of, maybe you can speak a little bit more about that, Ben, but because of this positive positivist idea of technology that is just a means to an end, that, is used, that it's a, a, can be a solution to everything. We don't even realize how, how much we have let it in and how much it uh, controls, not controls, but kind of permeates our lives and how important it is just as important as as learning about medicine to also learn about technology as a doctor. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with all the reflections so far. I think that um, I was also reflecting, uh, reflecting on our paper in light of, uh, you know, some of the very recent developments in GPT and, uh, and, uh, and Laura, like you mentioned, now it being directly uh, researched and applied in, uh, in, uh, and, 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 you know, trying to be evaluated uh, using uh, um, at least concepts that we would think are really critical of empathy, whether or not th that was actually what was being evaluated in that study, I think is a different question. But um, but one of the things that we talked about kind of when we were writing this paper was was about um, something you've alluded to already um, or earlier in the conversation is uh, is this uh, this horizon of anticipation of what new technologies uh, are going to look like. And, you know, and and I think this is this is an example of, you know, uh, how uh, something came out that even when we were discussing, you know, this this um, this uh, paper and coming up with the ideas for it, we you know, this wasn't uh, necessarily on our radar and we weren't necessarily thinking about, you know, uh, GPT in terms of how it would be applied in 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 in, uh, in medicine and medical education, at least directly, we weren't reflecting on that. But I think it, it speaks to the purpose of of uh, and kind of the, the the way that we we make our arguments in the paper that you know we're not these ideas these pillars are not meant to sort of um, be uh, an approach to um, critical appraisal of a particular type of technology, but rather they're, uh, as we term it in the paper, you know, they're they're trying to uh, promote a philosophical orientation towards technology, which really kind of, I think, um, um, is one that hopefully will, you know, be able to adapt to these rapid changes and be able to kind of continually apply, continuously apply, um, you know, some of these ideas that we've been discussing in order to, um, to evaluate um, uh, evaluate um, how, as you sort of mentioned, how technologies are becoming uh, embedded in practice and, and making sure that, you know, um, uh, um, decisions to incorporate technologies into practice are, are are motivated by the right reasons and not simply just because they're there, not simply just because they're expedient for particular profit motives or other things like that, but really actually um, are motivated by sound decisions to try to improve the lives of uh, patients, improve the lives of communities. And so um, the worry is that, yeah, the, the, uh, to go back to the, your initial question, um, the, you know, the positivist view, the worry is that simply like um, it can kind of engender this sort of 
uh, solutionist perspective where it's sort of more technology is always going to be better because, you know, we should be basing um, our practice on uh, on the latest science and uh, and technology is simply an extension of that science. And I really think that 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 doesn't capture the whole, the you know, all considerations that are really critical to, to bring to bear here. Laura, what, what do you think that the COVID-19 pandemic, has it taught us something about this relationship between the human and the technical and how, yeah, what is important about that? Well, I think, you know, it brings me back to some of the writing we did in our paper around touch and, you know, how how touch was really diminished in, in medicine during COVID. And we, we quote the writer Sergio Del Molino, who who writes, we humans need to touch and be touched and we don't know how to love without it. Distance makes us cold and makes us care less about one another. Um, and then we go on to talk about how in the Netherlands during the first wave of COVID, when society was locked down, there was actually a term popularized called weed hunger. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> this is funny because this this sound that I'm going to make, it's, I think it only exists in Dutch. It's... Uh, UI, it's called U. Okay. Uh, and it's called huidhonger. Oh, I literally really got means, that wrong. <laughs> uh, skin, skin hunger. So you're hungry. Yeah. You're. It's like a double meaning. Your skin is hungry to touch another skin, but it's also like hunger for skin. Right. And it wasn't right. anything sexual. It was just like people just wanted to touch yeah. another human being. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so... You know, I think coming back to this sort of idea of um, technification and and touching a bit on your critique of a positivist lens, Benjamin, you know, I think we tend to see the, the human through positivist lens as sort of um, in a binary opposition from technology. But, you know, the way that we are framing in the paper is that we're very much entangled with technology and it. And at the same time, what that does is it encourages us to think about, well, then what is it to be human? Like, how are human beings different from technology? Um, and, you know, I think when we think about creating a human bond, um, you know, we don't really still fully perhaps understand scientifically what it is to be human, um, to have a human presence and to sort of have a human energy that underpins the subjective experience of the other. And so I think still as we work, we advance technology, I think we also need to think more about, you know, what is it to have a human presence? And I think those are really interesting questions that are being pushed forward or might be pushed forward more when we think about sort of this, um, uh, you know, the relationship of humans and technology and, and asking questions about, well, then what does it mean to be human? And what is a human presence? Yeah, so that should be clear now why it's such a philosophical uh, topic, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It really connects to, I mean, two of my favorite philosophers write a lot about technology, which, which are Martin Heidegger and Bernard Stiegler. Yeah, this question of, of what is it to be human, one of the concepts of, of Stiegler related to technology actually really connects to medicine because it's it's called the pharmacon, but that's kind of the same root as uh, pharmacological. So he says technology is pharmacological. So just like medicine, it can be potion and poison. Um, 
And just like with uh, medicine, you need uh, pharmacology. And pharmacology, I'm probably saying this wrong, but I imagine it's like the science of, it's basically technological literacy. But it's also a form of care. So a technology is not something that is stable and independent of us, but it's something that it isn't quite alive, but it's it's not organic, but it's organized and it really influences our lives. So it's something we have to keep our eye on it and we have to care for it just as we care for medicine and we study it and and we find out, oh, actually this this medical intervention or this medicine that we thought was really good Actually, we should change it or we can, uh, you know, there are some side effects that we didn't know. Uh, I think this is one one of the insights that's really necessary now that that technology is so essential that we need kind of a pharmacology of technology and medical education as well. And the other part of it is that we can see every technology has its side effects. So when the PC was introduced, this also meant in the GP's office that you have differences in eye contact. When you're looking at the computer screen or the electronic health record, you're not looking at the patient. You win something, but you also lose something. Just like Plato already said that writing is great because you can remember things, but also because you can write it down, you, you don't train your memory anymore. So you also kind of lose something. And we can actually see this on a very large scale as well in the climate crisis, because the climate crisis is not caused by, you know, humans farting or whatever. It's caused by the industrial revolution and the technology and the CO2 emissions. And if we just look at the healthcare industry, if the healthcare industry was collectively one country, it would be the fifth most polluting country in the world. And in the Netherlands, it's responsible for 7% of the national CO2 emissions, of 4% of the waste, 13% of the raw materials. I mean, that's quite a large percentage. But if you then take into account that like the primary job of healthcare is to cure <laughs> uh, and to take care, then this is very, I mean, this is an irony of medicine. And But it's also something that we cannot escape, but we need to, I mean, obviously with planetary health and everything, these kind of things come into perspective as well. Yeah, that's such a great point, Mario. So yeah, maybe just for the last few minutes, we can just talk about what are some of the ideas that listeners can take away? What are our thoughts about taking this forward in education or in practice? Well, I think um, one of the uh, one of the main upshots, and maybe this reflects more my bias as a as a uh, a philosopher, but I do think that the uh, disciplines like the humanities um, in general, and um, I think philosophy in particular, have a lot to offer here. Um, these are disciplines that have uh, long thought about um, things like the social impact of technology, things like um, scrutinizing both science and technology, thinking critically about about how values enter into these institutions and and you know how we can uh, better orient uh, uh, them and uh, in order to um, you know better address uh, human need um, and I think that um, extending some uh, some ideas from from these areas and in really incorporating um, you know some teaching and uh, uh, into uh, into medical curricula from the humanities which is which is something that's already happening and I think that you know is a, is a very positive trend um, is something that can really help and I think that uh, this can be done specifically with an eye to looking at fields like philosophy of technology, like um, uh, the ethics of uh, AI, these sorts of areas. Um, uh, there's lots of really, uh, really um, uh, great uh, scholars uh, who are far more um, uh, intelligent than myself, who have uh, offered a lot of very interesting ideas in, the, in these areas and a lot of 
uh, a lot of uh, this could really be uh, be uh, applied to uh, the medical field and to uh, teaching the future generation of uh, healthcare professionals. So that's a, that's a plug for the humanities uh, in philosophy. Um, uh, it, it may be a, a little too abstract for what, what you were thinking in terms of the concrete things, but I, I, I want to keep it on this level because that is kind of the, the the gist of our paper as well to sort of you know try to try to promote an orientation rather than a specific curricular innovation. That being said, uh, Laura, Mary, I don't know if you have any more specific or tangible things you wanted to suggest. No, I agree. I think we stayed away from anything too prescriptive, you know, and I think some of the questions I was interested in in our conversations from my own perspective as someone interested in the social and relational aspects of of the paper that we wrote, um, you know, thinking when we think critically about philosophical questions about technology, again, it, it to me really asked questions too about what it is to be human and form connection. And so questions like how can physicians and learners respond intuitively to patients and not just focus again on technification like diagnosis and, you know, prognosis and sort of this more detached, automated or algorithmic way without eye contact, Mario, for example. And so what does it look like to interact sensitively with patients um, when the interaction is mediated through technology? And, and how can physicians, you know, become even more aware of their presence and how it might be experienced by a patient, I think, are some of the questions that came up for me when we were working together. And also what you're saying is don't reinvent the wheel because sometimes in medical education, there's a tendency to, if, if we realize something is important, we're going to do our own research. We go, uh, we're going to do our own thing, but there's fields, there's a field called technology assessment. There's a field called science and technology studies. There's philosophy of technology. And yeah, there are all these experts that you can just, if you want to do, if you want to implement an educational program, uh, invite Absolutely, them and, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and put the people together yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really well put, Mario. Absolutely. I think that, yes, there's, there's, there's a rich scholarship in these areas. And I think that really, um, um, and maybe this, this relates to kind of our own endeavor in writing this paper that, you know, I think there's tremendous opportunities for these rich interdisciplinary collaborations to kind of uh, emerge in this space because, um, because yes, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. You know, there's fields that have been thinking about these problems for a long time. Um, believe it or not, before the advent of ChatGPT, people had been thinking about uh, problems that AI might pose in terms of uh, in, in, in ethical issues. And uh, and uh, I think that it, we'd be remiss not to not to um, uh, you know really um, draw on insights from from people who are, are 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 working in these areas and 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 are thinking critically about these problems. Yeah. Yeah, and I think drawing on those perspectives too just encourages this sense of lifelong learning in terms of being at the edge of doubt always and thinking critically about new technologies that come into the fold. And so it's more of a an orientation and a practice of, of thinking critically um, rather than just accepting in this sort of numb way unconsciously new technologies. Yeah, I was thinking about what what can I suggest for embedding this in a curriculum and but rather than saying look do this or do this i i just want to stress the urgency <laughs> and i don't really know how to do that but it's like i mean because this is i guess one of the last podcasts of uh, this series as well because we've pretty much discussed all the papers in the series i really think this is the most it's it's urgent because no people are not paying attention to it as as much as they should i mean if if the way technology is treated would be treated with medicine, 
I mean, there would be like riots on the street because it's so irresponsible. And ChatGPT is just a very, as far as I can tell, very innocent thing of, of well, we don't really know what's coming. But the thing is that if we if we keep sticking to this idea that, that Ben called the positivist view, I mean, it's it has its value as well, but it's a very narrow view of technology that just fails to see a lot of its side effects. And we saw some of that, you know, with how quickly after... COVID-19 pandemic teaching went online and in a lot of places the administrator said well actually we saved a lot of costs so let's keep teaching online uh, but you lose so much so it's not it's not any one thing I just want to say well this this really should have much more priority than it has now in most medical curricula. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, just to, to say, I, I would second that Mario and I would say that, you know, these are not, you know, there tends to be um, sometimes uh, I think um, when people are thinking about the impacts of technology or specifically this arises with thinking about the the ethical impacts or the adverse uh, consequences of applying AI to particular problems, people often tend to become preoccupied with sort of some what what some might consider more remote scenarios of uh, of these problems of existential threats uh, with respect to uh, technologies like ChatGPT or um, um, other potential um, AI uh, gaining agency and, uh, and posing threats. But I think that there are very real and material um, impacts that these technologies are having in day-to-day -day, uh, life right now, actually. And uh, as you sort of alluded to, uh, Mario, with talking about uh, climate, uh, it's one, uh, one, I think, um, crucial aspect, um, the environmental impact of technology, um, certainly one that, you know, um, um, still um, is not um, garnering enough attention. And then I think in, in you know, in the healthcare scenario, that's also an aspect. Uh, but, but you know, there's there's many tangible impacts that technologies are having today that deserve uh, and merit uh, urgent attention um, that go uh, uh, that that we don't need to wait uh, and 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 think so hard. Uh, now again, I'm not saying that you know these people who are are working and thinking about some of the long term or remote scenarios are as not valuable work, but I'm I'm just saying that there's more material and immediate things that also deserve our attention in this area too. Well, thank you so much for this conversation and for writing this paper together because I learned so much and uh, yeah, it was really nice this combination of different perspectives. Thank you so much. It was really fun working on this together. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really invigorating and, and a lot of fun to work together and bring in our different perspectives. Thank you for listening. Check out our book, Helping a Field See Itself, Envisioning a Philosophy of Medical Education. You can find out more about the work I do at mariovein.com. And if you're interested in philosophy and interdisciplinarity, you can listen to my other podcast, which is called Life from Plato's Cave.